You're listening to audio from Grove Park Baptist Church. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.groveparkchurch.net. It seems odd to think of discipleship as worship because of how we have confused modern conceptions of discipleship with biblical discipleship. Discipleship is worship because it is the declaration of the glory of God. Now, discipleship, as most understand it today, can be understood as worship because we are learning about the glory of God. And so, therefore, we are declaring the glory of God. But biblical discipleship goes deeper than that. Biblical discipleship is not simply learning about the glory of God, telling other believers about the glory of God, but telling folks that have no conception of God about who he is and his glory. Discipleship is not simply learning. Discipleship is sharing our faith and multiplying disciples. We see this model of discipleship clearly in our text this morning as we witness the birth of the church at Antioch. Our text opens, though, with a note about what God thinks about discipleship that is concerned only with learning and sharing with those who already know about him. Notice with me verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now first off, notice that there's a persecution underway and so what happens to the church? The church scatters. Why is the church scattering ultimately, beloved? Well, it is simply the fact that the church has decided to stay right where it was in Jerusalem and in Judea. They had failed the biblical mandate to go into all the world, into Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world and declare the glory of God. They had failed to do that. And so God said, your discipleship is limited and therefore I will push you out. And so he pushes them out. And even there, though, what are they doing? They are sharing the, the gospel with folks who already know about God. You say, well, pastor, don't the Jews need to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question is yes, they do. But did you notice that they go out to Antioch? Now, to go to Antioch, you might not think much about that. I mean, it's just Antioch, right? But we have to understand that Antioch is a horribly vile city. Antioch ranks up there probably with how many of us may describe Las Vegas or Los Angeles or some other place where it just seems like that God is so far away they can't even begin to comprehend him. Antioch is the place that we would be least likely 
to share our faith because they seem so incredibly different from the rest of us. But biblical discipleship, beloved, begins with understanding that everyone deserves to hear the good news of God's grace. Notice verses 20 and 21. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. See, these that are from Cyprus and Cyrene have to deal on a regular basis with heathen Gentiles. And so they're used to dealing with them. And so they have seen in them, maybe they're friends with them and they've seen in them some semblance of humanity. And so they don't overlook them. They say, yes, they too deserve to hear the grace of God and I'm gonna share it with them. Beloved, how often do we look at the world in which we live like that? How often is it that we look at people who are different from us and say, yes, they too deserve the grace of God? I mean, I find Southern Baptists just fascinating. It's a good thing I am one. Because we have this annual meeting every year and we go into all parts of the world in our country, I should say, to have our annual meeting. But do you know that we go to places, in my opinion, that we really have no business going to? Why do I say that? Well, why does, with no offense to the people of Birmingham, Alabama, but why does 10,000 Southern Baptists need to fall down on the buckle of the Bible belt? Why didn't the Southern Baptist Convention have their annual meeting in San Francisco or Las Vegas or Times Square? Why don't we actually go where sinners are? Why don't we at Grove Park go where sinners are? I mean, what would it look like if we suddenly started a Sunday school class on Sunday morning at Starbucks. Starbucks? Yes, Starbucks. I guarantee if we left right now, we'd find Starbucks full. Maybe we need to start a Sunday school class walking around with buggies at Walmart on Sunday morning. Maybe we need to think about that everybody deserves to hear the grace of God and go out and tell them like these Hellenists, like these uh, Christians from Cyprus and Cyrene did with the Hellenists. Now understand something, if we start doing that, if we start going out and reaching lost people and people that don't look anything like us, if we actually start bringing down the drug trade in Burlington because we're reaching drug addicts or we're doing all these sorts of things, people are going to talk about us. Notice verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. I can only imagine how that report went. Psst. 
they're reaching sinners in Antioch. They're reaching those people who, they're, they're going out there into that grove that nobody likes to talk about in Antioch and they're, they're reaching people with the gospel there in that place of vile sin. They're bringing them into the church. They are bringing prostitutes into the church. Wouldn't that be a place to bring them? People will talk. Wouldn't it be grand, beloved, if people talked about Grove Park because of all the people we are reaching with the gospel? People that are overlooked and not thought well of. I'm reminded of a church in Baltimore whose principal outreach occurs at three o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning? Yes, that's what time all the prostitutes get off work in Baltimore. And so they run coffee and donuts for them at the church. They're reaching them. They're changing lives. The gospel, beloved, isn't sent to good people to make good people gooder people. And yes, I said it like that for purposefully. The gospel is sent to make rotten people godly. And we need to understand that rotten people are all of us and everybody needs the gospel. The people who go to Antioch understand this. The church can't really decide what to do, so they send Barnabas. And Barnabas tells us how we should deal with new disciples. What's the most important things that we need to remember in their discipling process? Notice with me verses 23 and 24. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord. Do you notice he saw the grace in them? He didn't see their former lifestyles. He didn't see what they were doing right then. He saw the evidence of grace in them. Beloved, are you on the lookout for the evidence of grace in people? Are you looking at where God is working in them? And, and maybe they haven't uh, made a profession of faith yet, but you can see the work of grace in them and you do everything in your power to magnify that work of grace, to, to draw them closer to God. That's what, Paul, uh, that's what Barnabas is doing here. He's seeing grace in them and he's working in them. And notice also, he is exhorting them. He is encouraging them. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is saying, yes, you can do this. Yes, you can grow in faith. Yes, you can follow Jesus. Yes, you can leave all this other behind. How often is it, beloved, that when we come across a new Christian, we just keep telling them what they're not doing right yet? We just keep telling them what they're not doing right. Well, you're not reading your Bible enough. You need to give this sin up. You need to give that sin up. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do, 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 do. And guess what? If we're telling them you need to do, 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 then we have forgotten what grace is. 
Because grace is not works. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And we need to let God work them out. We need to let God multiply grace in their life because you know what happens when God multiplies grace in your life? You start wanting to sin less because you fall more and more in love with him. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't from time to time point out some sin in some folks' life? Yes, I believe you do that. But you do that because you rely on the Holy Spirit. Did you see there in, in verse 24 that, that, that Barnabas is a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith? The Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. He's being guided and led by the Holy Spirit. He knows when to say the good word of encouragement. But he also knows when to say the word of correction. How often is it that we let the Holy Spirit work in us to tell us how to push people deeper in the faith? Or do we just start off by just throwing them in the deep end? Clearly this slow working of grace in the people's lives in Antioch is doing something because it says there at the end of verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. As these people grow in grace, they go and tell others and it multiplies. That, beloved, is discipleship. Discipleship is a multiplication effect in which we go and add and add and add and add and add and add. It is not by some happenstance that the cover of your bulletin today looks like a third grade classroom chart. Because we want to give you a visible expression of what discipleship looks like. If you are one and you multiply no disciples, guess how many disciples you have? You've multiplied none. If you've one and you multiply one disciple, you've got one. But I just for a minute want you to imagine that if 12 people at Grove Park decided to go reach 12 people each, that would be 144. If 13 people did it, it would be 169. If 14 people did it, it would be 196. I think that's right. Liza's shaking her head no, so I don't know. The issue is you need to go ahead and do your math, though, and then start with one. How many have you multiplied? How many have you multiplied? How many are you multiplying? Are you working on someone? When we keep asking this question of who's your one, we want to know who's your one because that's the one you're making into a disciple. And Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples. So who's your one? And maybe you have five. Well, guess what? That turns into five. You say, well, Pastor Mark, I, I've, I've got them just so far. I, I don't know how to get them the rest of the way there. Well, that's also part of discipleship too, beloved. Notice verse 25. 
So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You know your limits, beloved, on who you can reach and how you can reach them. But don't be afraid to call in help. Not everybody is gifted all in every facet of what it is to be a Christian. We all have different gifts. We all have different talents. And maybe you need to call in help from time to time. And the fact that you're knowing to call in help and the fact that you're willing to call in help is a sign of your discipleship. Barnabas calls in help to teach. In other words, Saul's good at the teaching, Paul. Barnabas is good at the encouraging. And together they grow. And this combination of doing discipleship is worship. Did you notice what that means? It means that they are producing little Christ. That's what Christian means. A little Christ. So they're multiplying the gospel again and again. Well, how do you know that's successful? How do you know you're getting somewhere? Well, as I've said repeatedly in this sermon, I'll say again, it's a desire to tell others about Jesus. It's a desire to show others grace. It's a desire for others to test, to taste grace. Again and again, we see through this text that they are multiplying. They're sharing their faith and others are coming to faith. And they're growing. Beloved, when was the last time you shared your faith with someone who didn't know Jesus? When was the last time you told someone about why you're here this morning? When was the last time you invited someone to come? You see, somehow or another, in, in, we have taken this thought of discipleship as just ingesting a lot. We eat a lot. We come and we, we go to Bible studies. We come to Sunday school. We do home studies. We do everything. We eat, 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 eat. And guess what we do with it? Nothing. Nothing. And what happens when you eat, 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 and do nothing with what you're eating? You look like me. Trying out for Santa Claus. The world doesn't need spiritually fat Christians. The world needs Christians who go out and share their faith and help along the path and therefore worship God. How does worship, how does worship through discipleship change history? I give for you Antioch. 
I give for you Antioch where they were called Christian for the first time. Because of their worship through discipleship, they get the name that has been used for ages since on how to define a follower of Jesus Christ. They are called Christians. How does history change? Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Antioch, this vile place swimming in sin, becomes one of the great bastions of Christianity. Indeed, it is one of the four principal centers of the faith for hundreds of years. The whole town is reversed. And this little church at Antioch is going to start sending missionaries out. Paul and Barnabas, and they're going to ignite all of Europe with the gospel. Discipleship, beloved, changes history. When we teach others about Jesus and show others about Jesus, it changes history. The question is, where are you on the multiplication chart? I put a question out on Facebook this week. Because when I was in Algebra 2 at Richlands, our teacher made us do all these sorts of memorizations of charts. And we had to remember doubles and triples and all sorts of things. It's how I remember 13 times 13 is 169 and 14 times 14 is 196 because you reverse the last two numbers because we had to do it and I had to memorize it. And so I come up with all these neat little ways to remember. 24 times 24, I believe, is 576 because that's 100 years after the fall of the Eastern Roman Empire. See, I'm weird. I felt sure that all of my colleagues who were forced to remember all this would remember just the full extent because after 20-some-odd years, it's gotten fuzzy for me how many different charts we had to memorize, and nobody has responded to this Facebook plea that I put out. got me thinking though that maybe I should revisit it just for my own mental workings. Have you forgot this morning, beloved, all that you've been taught about Jesus and at the heart of it was the fact that you're supposed to go sharing? Maybe this morning you need to be remembered, reminded of that. That you're taught him not just to make you happier, encourage you, but to bring light to someone else, to change their history, and in the process, change yours. That's what that guy from Black Mountain is doing in the video this morning. That's what he's doing on his island of misfit toys. I like that name for a church, an island of misfit toys. 
He's going after people that people have forgotten and he's sharing the gospel and he's changing their history one person at a time. Can you just imagine if we actually did it ourselves? What we could see. How well are you doing your times tables today? Let's pray. Lord, you didn't save us for us to sit and be knots on a log. You saved us to go tell others to declare your glory. And Lord, we confess that we stink at that a lot of times. Lord, we love to feast on the bounty of your word, but we don't like to go and use it to exercise your gifts to us. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would just stir us to go. Shake us, Lord. Let us know that there's someone that we can share the gospel with. There's someone or multiple ones that we can see come to faith because everybody, including us, needs to know grace. Stir your spirit and speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.